0: We are going to pick up on Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, reading from verse 5. We talked a little bit last week about money. We talked about the, the social experiment which they tried in the book of Acts, which didn't work very well, where where everybody came and laid all their money at the apostles' feet. And within a decade, the church was bankrupt and it was destitute. And Paul was going around and getting up donations for the church In Jerusalem, from the Gentile churches. He was going around and and getting up donations for them. And that we saw last week what rich people are supposed to do. They're supposed to be generous. Be generous. That was the admonition in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now in verse 5 it says, Make sure your character, Hebrews 13 verse 5, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you nor will I forsake you. So he says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. That's what we looked up at last week. It is not money which is evil. It is the love of money which is evil. He says, you are to be content with what you have. To be content with what you have. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, we see Paul raising up money for the Gentile churches. And he, he says something that is really quite interesting here. So in... in uh, in 1 Corinthians 16.1, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. And then he goes on and he says how we're collecting this money for the church in Jerusalem. But look at what Paul says. He says, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so do you also. Who is, who is Paul to come in here and to tell people that they should do this. Who is he to come in here and tell people that they should do this? It's not like, well, if you feel like giving, you should give. He told them, give. He said, you are to give. Well, Paul is an apostle, all right? And so he, he's in service of the Lord Jesus, and Jesus is the Son of God and God himself. And so when we have this expression, who does he think he is? Does he think he's God? Well, yeah, God thinks he's God. God is able to tell us and instruct us. And if we are believers, it should not bother us to be instructed. It should not bother us to function under the commandments of God. We have this thing in our generation that, oh, well, you you know, people should only suggest, but they shouldn't tell us to do anything. But if we consider ourselves as submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is our Savior, then we should welcome Him telling us what we ought to do. Look in, in uh, uh, John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus makes this very clear to us. John chapter 14, verse 23, He says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word. If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Remember, this is how Jesus assesses our love for him. If we love him, we're going to keep his word. And the outcome of this is this, that his father will love us. You say, well, God loves everyone. Yes, he does. But he loves people, particularly people that obey the commandments of Jesus, obey his words. The father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. In other words, God, the Father, and His Son come and make their abode with us. They come upon our lives and they remain close to us when we function in obedience to Him. Verse 24 says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. So in other words, there is a, a, a commitment to obey the things of God. This commitment to obey Him. Turn over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and we're going to read from uh, verse 9, John chapter 15, verse 9. And it says, just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. So we'll stop right there. Jesus said, just as my Father loves me, I have loved you. So there's no question about God loving us. Just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. In the same way that God the Father loves Jesus, Jesus said, I love you. Then he says, abide in my love. That's on us. He loves us, but now he commands us, abide in my love. That's on us. We are to do something in this equation. Yes, he loves us, but it's up to us to abide in his love. We are to abide in his love. Think of this analogy. There is an umbrella here. You can stay under this umbrella and be protected because you're abiding under the umbrella. Should I step out from under that umbrella, then we're no longer abiding and it opens us up to all sorts of troubles. There is a part of this which he puts upon us. You see the imperative here, the command, abide in my love. That's the command part. He says, yeah, I loved you, but it's up to you to abide in my love. It's not a passive thing. It is an active thing. We are to abide in his love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So it's somewhat an ethereal thing. How do I abide in your love? What does that mean? He says, oh, let me help you. Keep my commandments and you'll abide in my love. Keep my commandments and you'll abide in my love. This is how explicit it is. When we keep his commandments, we will abide in his love. It all gets back to obeying God and keeping his commandments. How shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping his commandments, the scriptures say. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. How did Jesus abide in the Father's love? By keeping the Father's commandments. And what does this then trace back to? What does this result in? Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. It has nothing to do with being free from suffering. It has everything to do with being joyful even in the midst of suffering. The joy comes by walking in His commandments. That's on us. God doesn't say, if you don't walk in my commandments, I'm going to come after you. No. He just says He commands us to walk in His commandments. And then by walking in His commandments, then there is great blessing. You step out of His commandments and there's trouble. So this is why he says, this is on you, abide in my love. It's always been this way from the beginning. If you turn to Genesis chapter 4, right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to be reading from verse 6. He says to Cain in Genesis 4, 6, The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? That means, why, why are you looking so sad today? God says to him, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. You see the personal responsibility right from the beginning. There is a responsibility within us to keep his commandments. It is not something that's separated from us. We have a responsibility to walk in the commandments of God. And in that there is great joy. So what did he say? He says, you are to be giving. Be content with what you have. This is where there's great blessing. Turn to Philippians chapter 4 verse 11. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11. He says, not that I speak from want for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. This is a tremendous secret to learn to be content. If you are in this room, you are entitled. Remember what we said last week. Anybody who is in this room, in this country, at this time, has much more than everyone else in the world. You guys just had a meal. Just had all the food you want to eat is right there. There's a whole lot of people in the world who who never, never have had all that they wanted to eat. You are entitled. So nobody in here can, can claim the victim. He says, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Whatever our situations, we can thrive. Whatever our situation is, we can thrive. And I know people in this room who have been through tremendous things. Where their apartments have gotten broken into, everything is robbed. Where they're going through great struggles with their home, with their house, with their family, with sick people. In the midst of it, you do not have to be overcome. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I can't do anything for you. I don't know how to help you in that. But God is able to, by the power of His Holy Spirit, if you will walk in His commandments and according to His precepts, the blessing of God is there. And you will see breakthrough. Okay, let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 13 and continue to look in in verse 5 again. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. This is what God has said. Now, Think about this verse. He is quoting this, this, this verse, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. This is quoted from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is quoted more in the New Testament than any other book of the Bible. Deuteronomy In, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses, verses 6 and 8, that verse is quoted from. It's also quoted in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. So look at what this writer of the New Testament has done. He has taken a verse from 14 or 1300 BC. He took something that Moses proclaimed in Deuteronomy in 1300 BC and applied it to the 1st century AD Christians. How dare he take a verse so out of context and tell, and tell them to apply it to their lives 1400 years later. Well because he's writing the Bible. Because God has instructed him to. And this is exactly what the New Testament does. It takes verses from thousand years before that and applies it to their personal lives there at that time. And this is what we are to do. We take verses from the Bible and we are to apply it to our lives. To say, oh, when you're taking it out of context has nothing to do with it when it's applying it to my own life. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. God says, it says, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. He's telling the Christians in Judea, all around Jerusalem, you're about to go through great sufferings. Remember, this is between 66 and 68 AD, just before great suffering is going to come. And he says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. You are to take that verse that Moses proclaimed and that verse that God proclaimed upon Joshua, and you are to apply it to your life. Today, he says. And that's what we are supposed to do. God has said. Now, when you meditate on on the word of God, this is not a bad way to do it. It says, for he himself has said. That is, God has spoken. Then you take each word and you focus on it. I. Who is the I here? That is God speaking. It says, for he himself. God has said. I. I. That is God speaking. The next word, will. I will. God wills it. Do you know when God wills something, nothing can stand in His way? Because He's gone. God says, I will. Then you take the next word. I will never. Wow, that's pretty strong. What will you never do? I will never desert you. I will never desert you. You. You take that and you just draw it upon your life. You take this scripture verse and you pull it in your life. God is saying to me, I will never desert you. Then again, he says, nor will I ever. God wills again, will I? He wills himself to never forsake you. That's pretty strong. This is exactly what meditation on the word of God is. I did prison ministry with a man for many years. So I went into a prison, I was in a maximum security prison every Monday night for 10 years. And one of the men that I would minister with, his name was John Penny. And we'd walk all, we had to walk all the way across the open yard at, at about uh, 5.30 p.m. We'd walk across this yard and the men were all milling about. And and uh, because we had to go to the unit, the dormitory, the unit that was all the way on the other end. And as we're walking across this yard, this was a, John Penny a, is an African-American man, huge man. And uh, they'd all be saying, hey, John, hey, John. I said, John, how, how do they all know you? Everybody here knows. You. He says, oh, I used to sell them all drugs. John had been a big drug dealer in Columbia, South Carolina. And, and uh, dealers from Atlanta wanted to take over the business. They came in and they shot him in the back. When he got shot in the back, the bullet slipped across his, his shoulder blade, came out and fell on the ground right next to him. He looked at the bullet. He changed his life. He ended up getting saved and changed his life. Now, how do you take a man who never had more than an eighth grade education, never knew his 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 father, and his mother lived on the streets? How do you take a man like that, who later on became an elder in a church, and was so on fire for God, had a tremendous witness. And I said, John, explain this to me. How did you get here? And so one day I was driving him back to his home. He, he, he didn't own a car at the time. I was driving him back to his home after we had done, done the prison ministry. In his house, he had just a tiny little home. You go in his house, the whole wall had Scripture verses on it. Scripture verses. But one of the words in Scripture was 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 crossed out. Like, for example, he would say, I will never desert you. He'd put an X through the U, and he'd write John above it. I will never desert John. And John would go around his house house and quote all of those Scripture verses and take them into his life. It changed his life. The Scriptures changed his life. You take the Word of God and you bring it into your life. You apply the Word of God to your own personal life exactly like the writer in Hebrews is telling them to do. You say, well, this was written 2,000 years ago. Well, duh, he's giving us an example of something that was written 1,400 years before him and applying it to their lives. This is exactly what we're supposed to do. And the next verse is this, in verse 6. So that we confidently say... So this is no more God speaking... This is verse 6, so that we confidently say. So above there, it was God speaking. The result of that is that now we start speaking something. We make a proclamation so that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? We are to take the scriptures, apply it to our own life, and speak the word forth. Jesus said, Every careless word that a man shall speak, you shall render account for in the day of judgment. By your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Our words have power. Our words have power. If we go around saying, I'm useless, I'm useless, you know what's going to happen? We're going to feel terribly useless. And in fact, there may be more power in our words than we realize. Because do you know one of the names of God, according to the scriptures? I am is one of his names and we go around saying I am useless it's as if God were saying that we bring that upon our own lives there's defeat in that you walk around saying I am a child of God I am blessed boom it's like saying God is saying this our words have power that's Matthew 12, 36 and 37 is the, words, is the verses that Jesus said about what we speak. And then in Proverbs 18, verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat, eat its fruit. There is power in what we say. That's like if, if we say to our children, Oh, you are useless. Oh, you'll never amount to anything. There's huge power in that. Especially if you are a, a, a parent. Especially if you are a parent. This is why we are to build our children up. God has great plans for you. You're going to be great. God has great plans for you. You're going to do great things. You speak that into their lives. It says in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 13, So that we confidently say, The, who's the? That means the one and only. The Lord, Jehovah, Jehovah. Jehovah is his name, the Lord is my, he is, this is this actually, he is my helper, he's mine, he is my helper, he's my helper, I'm to proclaim this, I'm to confidently say he is my helper, I, that's me, I will not, I am to will it not, I will not be afraid, I am to proclaim that I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? What will man do to me? We take these words and we bring it upon our own lives. This is what we're supposed to do. There is a, there is a portion that saw me through my undergraduate and graduate school. A verse that saw me through my undergraduate and graduate school. It's in Isaiah 41 verse 10. And I would just take this verse, and I would just proclaim this. And I would envision it in my mind. I could go in one morning into my quiet time feeling totally defeated. I'd go through this in Isaiah 41, verse 10, and I would come out a roaring lion. Nobody was standing in my way. Nobody. Isaiah 41, 10, do not fear, for I am with you. Well, God certainly knew where I was in those mornings. I was fearful. He said, do not fear, for I am with you. God is with me. Do not anxiously look about you. Boy, did he have me figured out. I get so anxious about so many things. Oh, how am I going to get this? Oh, man, I got like three tests this week. My my professors must have conspired to all have their exams on the same week. nobody in the world has ever had this much to do and i just get so anxious do not anxiously look about you you just don't do it don't anxiously look about you for i am your god for i am your god the great i am is my god i will strengthen you i say lord Do it according to your word. Strengthen me according to your word. Do it according to your word. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Man, I had this enormous advantage over other people. I had the God of heaven and earth helping me. I will help you. Surely I will help you. It's not just I will help you, but it's surely. It's like, man, I am going to do it. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I would just envision God just with his hand holding me up. You proclaim something like this. You take the word of God and proclaim it. And you will see what it does with your life. And if you're not going through something now, you will at some point learn how to practice this. So I want to bring up a friend of mine. This is Lisa Hoffman. She's been, been through this uh, debilitating, uh, I think it's an autoimmune disease, but she'll tell us more. And, and for a long time, you know, a, a disease, if it lasts two days or a week, you know, you get through with the flu and okay, you've gotten better. But if you have something attacking you for years... And I saw what this did to her life, and I'd see her, and, and what it did to her family, and the weight that she was losing, and all these things. And I want you to hear this story about, about uh, some things that happened in her life.
1: Well, I am fired up listening to Jim. That was powerful, Jim. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Um, I have a lot of nervous energy, so just um, bear with me as I share. A year ago, I wouldn't have even had the strength to stand up here and talk to you about what happened in my life. But um, I wanted to uh, share what the Lord and Scripture has done for me and taught me. And um, just kind of starting out, I wanted to uh, to let you know that I was raised as a Christian. I, I was raised knowing who Jesus is and what it meant to have a relationship with him, uh, how important it was to have a strong foundation of faith. Um, I kind of just rolled through church, you know. Um, I, I, I had... Ups and downs and typical life challenges, but nothing that ever just rocked my world. Closer. Okay, sorry. Um, and I, I did pray and I learned how to pray and and you know what that was supposed to look like in my mind. Um, but I had never really understood meditating on the scriptures and really just digging deep and 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 like Jim said, like proclaiming or claiming those words and just um, infusing them into my life. Um, so. Uh, in my late 30s, I was, uh, despite being very active, uh, exercising, taking care of myself, I'm, I was a runner and, and eating well and all those things, it kind of hit my pride when I started having some health issues and I was diagnosed with some autoimmune issues. And uh, thankfully, praise God, I was able to ma- manage those fairly well. And over the years, you know, they would uh, come and go, but um, for the most part, I felt like things were fairly under control. And then around three years ago, I, um, I'd had a bout with the flu, get your flu shot. Um, and it was it, I was so, so sick for like two weeks. And just as I thought I was coming out of this uh, episode with the flu, I woke up one morning and I really could just hardly move. I just laid in my bed and I had this debilitating sense of fatigue, nausea, dizziness, and it was so frightening to me. I had never felt anything like it that I made my first trip to the emergency room. And after being hospitalized and in and out of doctor appointments to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, they finally diagnosed me with a rare condition called dysautonomia. And I know it's kind of a fancy word, but what it basically means is that my autonomic nervous system, which right now, while you're sitting there, your body's doing all these things that you're not even thinking about. Your blood pressure is stabilized, your body temperature is stable, your, your food is digesting and uh, nurturing your body right now, um, even breathing, um, all of that you are doing right now and you're not even thinking about it, it's just happening. Well, when that gets out of whack, it, it just it, it's hard to even describe how awful it can make you feel. So at its worst, I was homebound for about two months. I was I was literally losing like almost a half a pound a day for weeks and I felt like I was dying. I was starting to plan for my demise, um, I was giving my husband some coaching on what his next wife should look like and the qualities that he needed to look for in with her. And but no joke, I, 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 it was it was just it was just more than I could even describe. At the best, I was functional, but um, I felt ill pretty much all the time. I still had trouble um, keeping weight on and just uh, feeling any kind of energy. I just felt sick all the time. And so basically what that left me with was anxiety, depression, panic attacks like I've never felt before. So the, I knew that the only way that I was going to even remotely begin to crawl out of this hole was through the Word. The first scripture that I turned to was James 5.14. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And like Jim said, he, he and many others... On Wednesday nights, Guy and I just went. We just went. We opened ourselves up. We were vulnerable. We, we uh, shared the details of what was going on because I figured the more people knew, the more prayer I would receive and the more glory that God would receive should he decide to heal me from this. So we went. It was like nothing I've ever experienced. People who didn't even know me were coming down and, and claiming scripture over my my physical body, my emotional health, all of it. Um, another scripture that I was drawn to was Psalm 32. Oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Well, spending eight weeks sitting on your sofa leaves a lot of time to spend with the Lord, and I did learn how to just sit and be with Him and focus on these words. And I did, I did cry out to Him daily, and I wrangled with Him, Lord. What are you doing? What what, what is this for? And if I'm not going to make it, just show me what I need to do with this. You know, here and now, show me. I praised him that he was able to heal me. Not that he necessarily would choose to heal me the way I wanted to. But I was um, encouraged to focus on the fact that he was able to heal me. So uh, then I turned to Jeremiah 29, 11. And you're all familiar with this one. I knew that the Lord had plans for me. I knew that he wanted to um, instill hope in me, and um, my husband Guy was very instrumental in constantly reminding me that we did have hope, that this was not necessarily going to be my new normal, and that God could certainly heal me if he chose to. So this all went on for a year and a half to two years, and I was growing weary. I would have, you know my days when I was hopeful and days when I could see. Um, what, uh, good things that he was bringing out of this terrible situation. But I hit a wall in January of 2017 last year. And I, I had a moment in the middle of the day where I was so panic stricken that I just, I needed a spiritual intervention. So I called Shireen on the phone. She had given me her cell phone number and told me to use it. Can I have some water real quick, guy? So I called her. Thank you. And she's, she stopped what she was doing and we immediately began to pray together. We, she spoke scripture to me. She instructed me on how to just bathe myself in the prayer that was going to give me the only kind of peace that I, that would satisfy what I was going through. And within about five to ten minutes of being on the phone with her, I was at a place where, where I could continue on with my day. But she knew that, that I needed more than, than just that one moment and she began to minister me to me and encouraged me to meditate on God's word and to take these scriptures and just soak them in and, and hear them in a new way each and every time that I, that I read them. She brought women to my home to pray for me, to lay hands on me, to just continue to encourage me and soak myself in the word of God. On April 20th of 2017, I got up I started about my day, and around noon, I started feeling normal, and in fact, it had been so long since I had felt normal that I almost forgot what it felt like, but it hit me like a ton of bricks. I called my husband, and I was like, I am feeling normal right now. I, I am hungry. I, I don't feel dizzy. I feel like I, I, I want to go do something. It was, it was just so exciting, and I, so I, about a half a day, I, I enjoyed that, and the next day, I got up. I had no symptoms for the entire day. That was 311 days ago, praise God, that I feel like I've been healed from this illness. And as I continue my faith journey, I want to continue to testify and to share the good news that the power of scripture and the Lord's goodness and mercy is just is just more than you can even imagine. I am always taken back to the promises that he made in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, the promises of peace and protection. I can tell you confidently, without a shadow of a doubt, that I have experienced this peace of God that that he writes about, that, that it is beyond understanding, that it transcends anything that I can imagine when I'm obedient in turning these things over to God, when I'm obedient and taking all of these things to prayer, with, in prayer, to, in petition to the Lord with a thankful heart. I still struggle from time to time with anxiety. I still have a lot of other health issues that I'm dealing with, but I feel great. And I can feel and sense the spirit of protection over me, especially my mind, my heart and my mind, but especially my mind. When I'm obedient and turning all of everything inside of me over to the Lord in prayer and petition. I am profoundly, I am a profoundly grateful child of God, and I cannot even fathom where I would be mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally. I can't even imagine what my life would look like right now without the sustenance of a living word and without the hope that only Christ can provide. Thank you.
0: This is a living demonstration of what the scriptures do in a life. I remember when she, she called up Shireen. Shireen said, Lisa Hoffman called me today, which was unusual. I mean, we, we knew, I knew Guy fairly well. Uh, we'd served on a board together and done things together, but Shireen and, and Lisa had not known each other very well. And this wasn't a person who was rebelling. I mean, before she got sick, she was active, she, she used to play, she plays the saxophone, really great, and she used to play in the worship group, and then I'd say, Guy, I don't see her playing anymore. He says, well, she's not feeling well, you know, just the pressure blowing on a thing hurts her sinuses, and it just got worse and worse. So this is even somebody who's serving in the church. This hits everybody. Learn how to take the scriptures and call them upon your life. Proclaim them, take his word, the things that he says about what he will do in our life and believe it and then take the word of God and confidently say, proclaiming it, that that he will never leave me, he will never forsake me. You take this, you proclaim it because your words have power. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that the power of God fall upon these young people, that this day they would learn to take precious truths from the word of God and make it a part of their lives, not to just passively read through all of this, but to be able to take a truth word by word and draw it right on into their lives, word by word. Every word in the Bible is true. Every word in the scriptures are true. Every dot, every tittle, every piece of every word is true. Father, may they apply it to their lives. And may they learn how to speak words that are uplifting. Calling upon themselves the blessings of God and the proclamation of God that they would be able to confidently take the word of God and pull it right on into their lives. Father, that they would take the scriptures and make it a part of their lives. Let them never forget this message. And Father, for those here who do not know you, who have no power resident within them because the word of God has no power over them in the sense that there's no Holy Spirit in their lives yet. Father, I pray that this day they would say, Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner. Come into my life and give me power over sin, power over death. Father, save these young people today, I pray. Give us lives that would be saved and snatched from the hand of the devil. And Lord, I commit these young lives to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.